Americans are shelling out billions of dollars, with a B, billions of dollars on cosmetic surgery in order to make ourselves look better. But it's not just the rich that are obsessed with this thing. Year after year, do you know what the number one New Year's resolution is? Lose weight. Now, have you ever wondered why? Well, part of it is we're fat. I was thinking about this, you know, and, and I'm very aware of my... That's why I wear loose shirts, so you can't see how fat I've gotten, especially over the holidays. Um, yeah, thank you. Praise the Lord. Um, but part of it, I believe, is the fact that we want to look better on the outside because we have this idea that if I look better on the outside, if I clean up the outside package, maybe I won't be such a mess on the inside. We, we misdirect our, our uh, self-improvement efforts to the outside appearance and totally neglect the inside. And I think we do so at our peril. So with this thought in mind, this self-improvement thing in mind, um, I thought that I would go in search of things that would make me look better. And some of you are thinking, I know that's right, baby. Yeah, you're saying <laughs> we, we need some of that. Um, so what, what we did was we went on the Internet. And my kids always make the suggestion when, you know, one of those hair improvement things comes on, <laughs> hair restoration things, my kids are like, Daddy, you should try that. And they're like, I am too cheap for that, man. I ain't going there. So, yeah, I'm not by myself. That's true. Misery loves company. Um, so what we did was we went to the Internet, and there's so much fun stuff on the Internet. As long as you stay in the safe areas, as long as you have that site control stuff on, on, your, on your computer. And, and we found a place that we could upload my picture and get a virtual hairstyle. <laughs> and because Misery Loves Company, and without his permission, I put my picture on there and also Wes's. So what we're going to do um, is we're going to put some pictures up of Wes and me because we're follically challenged, and, and we, I'm more so than him. He does it more on purpose. But um, we're, we're going to let you vote on the best hair improvement uh, style for each of us, all right? So we're side by side, and here we go. Here's the first one. That's us. All right, move on. I think the color works for me. Wes looks like the Grinch was the comment over here. See, now, I didn't know color mattered. I didn't know that, that, you know, colors that you wear mattered because of the facial tones and all of that stuff. I learned this after being married to a really girly girl. And uh, so I think that color works better on me than Wes. All right, let's look at the next one. <laughs> now, I could almost do that right now, so I, I, I don't see that that's any improvement whatsoever. Um, next one. <laughs> now, now I, grew up, I grew up, you know, just after the 60s, so they were still hanging on, and this kind of reminds me of, uh, of the early 70s, so that, I could go with that style. Um, all right, next. I had that haircut in fifth grade. Yeah, man. Uh, we got another one? I think I saw you have that last week, um, at least the, the facial hair. I like how Alex put my mustache crooked. It's not under my nose. My goatee is off, and I, I'm willing to bet he did that on purpose. Now, um, that's kind of creepy, isn't it? And I've come to the conclusion that if, if my success in life is based on my looks, 
in American society, I'm just in sad, sad shape. Um, but here's the cool thing. In God's economy, my looks don't matter. Neither do yours. Aren't you glad? Because if you've ever been uh, messed up about your looks, I want you to know today that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. And we're going to look at a verse in just a minute, and, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, God speaks in the Bible in what's called a still, quiet voice. But I think you'd agree that what's shouting out to us, especially in America with television and magazines and all of this stuff, movies, is that you need to look better in order to feel better. But, but God has this still, small voice, and He speaks to us from the Old Testament um, by a prophet named Samuel. And, uh, you know, in the midst of all these voices that are telling me I need to be tucked and tanned and toned and siliconed and Botoxed, God says this. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. People judge others by what they look like, but I judge people by what's in their hearts. So God's saying, I don't give a rip about the outside. I want to know what you're like on the inside. And heart means the core of who you are. It's your mind, your will, your emotions. Um, God says that's what's important to Him because your, your spiritual heart is what's going to live forever, not your physical heart. And, and I'm not trying to say that your physical body is not important. In the New Testament, we're told that, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you if, you if you become a child of God. And it says you don't even own your body if you're a child of God because you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. So your physical body is important, but your physical heart is going to stop beating one day but not your spiritual heart. And so my whole goal for you in 2008 is not that you get to looking good on the outside. Really, I don't care. My goal is that you'll have um, this spiritual heart replaced and you'll begin to look more like Christ on the inside. So I think you'd agree most of us would go to great lengths to uh, fix up the outside in order to gain the approval of others. Here's the question that I have for you today, and I want to come back to this throughout 2008, to what lengths will you go to alter your interior in order to gain the approval of God? What are you going to do so that God says, oh, I'm proud of you. Good job. Because that's what matters for eternity, not, not the, some of the stuff that we get caught up in today. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to talk to you about the number one disease uh, that affects human beings, and it's called this disease of a hard heart. And if you'll read through the Old Testament, you'll notice that over and over, God said to His chosen people, the Israelites, you're so hard-hearted. I can't work with you. You're stubborn. You're rebellious. Your hearts are hard. And in the New Testament, Jesus reserved His harshest criticism for those people who were the religious leaders. They had the Old Testament memorized. Never mind bringing your Bible to church. They didn't even need the scroll. They had it memorized. You'd, you'd bring up a passage. Oh, yeah, they could tell you where it was found. Memorized. And Jesus said, you people are messed up because your hearts are hard. So apparently, Bible knowledge is not enough for our hearts to be tender. There has to be some kind of application of that knowledge in order for us uh, to get a tender heart. So that's where we're going to head in the next three weeks. Now, today I want to define for you hard-hearted, all right? I want to define this disease for you, and this is on your listening guide, and you can just jot these down. It means angry, mean, rebellious, and some of you are stopping right there, and you're going, I'm none of those, so I'm in good shape. Well, look at the last one. Insensitive. 
Darn, if we'd have left that one off, some of us could have left here saying, I'm not hard-hearted, but you put insensitive in there. Every one of us becomes insensitive. Now, when we become hard-hearted, the first place that this shows up is in our relationship towards God, our attitude towards God. But before long, that attitude seeps out and it affects every relationship that we have with human beings on this planet. So, um, so that we make sure none of us slip through the cracks and think that I'm not hard-hearted, we're gonna, I'm going to describe for you some scenarios. Every one of these scenarios is true. Someone, someone did these things. And in, in a shameless attempt to help you remember, I've copied Jeff Foxworthy's you might be a redneck, only what you're going to say is you might have a hard heart. All right? So I will describe the scenario, true scenario, somebody I know did this thing, and then as you catch on, you say with me, you might have a hard heart. Let, ready? Just say that with me. You might have a hard heart. All right. Now here's the first one. If you've ever been cut off by another driver and you've thought about giving the other driver the one-finger salute, you might have a hard heart. Now, here's the other thing. I forgot to tell you this. If, if you've ever thought this, I'm not saying you did it. I'm not saying you did it. But you've had the thought. Then, then you just kind of just nod your head and say, you might have a hard heart. All right. Now, uh, let's see. While in the checkout line at Walmart, if you've ever sighed loudly enough that the person in front of you stops writing their check to see what the commotion is all about, you might have a hard heart. If you've ever wished you had an electronic zapping device to completely destroy the stereo system in your neighbor's much too loud bass-enhanced car, you might have a hard heart. If you've ever thrown a piece of lawn equipment, and let me define thrown a piece of lawn equipment. I mean a string trimmer or a push lawnmower just because it wouldn't run right. You might have a hard heart. If you've ever thrown your dog over a six-foot wooden fence because he wouldn't quit barking at the cows at 3 a.m., you might have a hard heart. If you've ever yelled at your kids to hurry up and get their little rears in the car because we're going to be late to church, you might have a hard heart. If you've ever carried a large stick to your neighbor's house and threatened to kill your neighbor's dog and bury it in the creek in your backyard, you might have a hard heart. Now, all of those scenarios, except the last one, are mine. I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you. My wife, she helped me think up this list, by the way, this week. And, and, uh, and she was having too much fun. And so this whole stinking week, she's been going, you might have a hard heart. You know, anything I say, I'm like, God, you're not cutting me any slack. I got to practice what I preach. Do you know who did the last one? Walked with a stick, next door neighbor, threatened to kill the dog and bury it in the creek in her backyard. You know who did that? My wife. <laughs> Even sweet little Janie can have a hard heart when her children are threatened by the neighbor's pit bull. My only regret is that I was not there to see it. I was in Chicago. I get the phone call. She t oh, you did what? <laughs> she was bold and bad with that stick on her shoulder. Oh, and I'd love to have seen it. Now, if you've ever, if you've ever dem uh, demonstrated the symptoms of a hard heart, 
then, then you're in good company. Um, because the Bible is filled with stories of dipstick human beings showing hard hearts in their relationship to God and in their relationship to others. But what I want to talk about today, and, and if you did bring your Bibles, you might want to flip over to uh, Luke chapter 23, because we're going to get there in just a second. But I want to talk to you today about the guy that I think from the Bible probably got the Iron Heart Award. If you remember the story, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified in the middle of two criminals, one on his right, one on his left, three crosses, um, three people crucified. And um, this, this criminal, um, we're going to describe him as we read through the, the verses together, but, but here's the scenario. They, they take criminals, they would crucify you in a public place so that people would walk by, see, oh, this is what happens to people who are enemies of Rome, people who break the law, this is what happens. So they put you in a public place right where people were coming in and out of the city. All right, so where we've got our gates around Palestine, that's where the crucifixions would have happened if they happened in our day. And so people are walking back and forth, and, and it, the Bible says that all of these folks we're making fun, hurling insults at Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. I think it's interesting, none of these people hurled insults at him when he was walking on the earth, when he was on the ground. But when he gets pinned up to a cross when, and they think there's nothing he can do, they are hurling insults at him. Now, I'm gonna, th this is described in, in all four of the, the New Testament Gospels, but I want to read you just from Matthew and then we'll get to the Luke passage. Matthew 27, and, and look what happens. And the criminals who were crucified with him also shouted the same insults at him. Now this, you've got to picture the scene. You have come uh, from, from heaven. You've given all of heaven up. You've come to earth to die for hard-hearted people. And the same people that you are dying for are walking by and hurling insults at you. That's rough. But then the homeboys that are right there next to you being crucified because they're guilty, they join in the hard-hearted insults. That's just unbelievable. Now, let's look at the Luke passage and let's see what happens. Because at the end of their life, shortly before they died on the crosses, these two thieves, these two criminals, who both were hurling insults at the first, they split and go diametric, diametrically opposite directions, spiritually speaking. Let's pick up the passage in Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah. All right, you've got you to gotta have this. Messiah meant the Savior of mankind. So he's, he's looking at him. He's hanging there dying. He goes, so you're the Savior of mankind. Look what he says. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. I mean, all he wanted was, you know, to get off the cross. Come on, dude, if you're so bad, prove it. And save me while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, these men went opposite directions, spiritually speaking, and what caused them to go the opposite direction? It was the condition of their heart. One of the criminals softened his heart and he asked for Jesus' help. And the other one hardened his heart and continued to make fun of the Son of God. Now, the, the repentant criminal, um, he calls over the hard-hearted guy and he says, You are moments from death and inches from the Savior, and still you have a hard heart? Aren't you scared of God? And from all that we know in Scripture, 
the Iron Heart Award was presented to the unrepentant thief when he busted open the gates of hell. And the really scary thing is that same Iron Heart Award will be presented to any person who during this lifetime continually hardens their heart against God to the point that they say, I don't need God. And God says, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose whether they're going to go to hell or not. And, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. Now, where does a hard heart take you? This is on your listening guide. Number one, it takes you away from God. Ultimately, the biggest separation you can have from God is in hell. To die spiritually means to be eternally separated from God. Eternally separated from God. That's forever. And um, you make your choices in this life, and whatever your choice is in this life, God honors it in the next life. Hard heart here, I don't need God. God says, you're on your own. Soft heart here, God help me. He says, you're part of my family, and I got your back. Now, um, <laughs> when you have this hard heart, the distance from you and God on this planet gets greater and greater. You have less desire to hear God. You don't have any desire to spend time in God's Word. You don't have any desire to hang out with people who want to get near God. In fact, you want to distance yourself from them. And God says, okay. Now, there's a second result. Being hard-hearted also takes you away from others. This is number two. Selfishness sets in. Your needs aren't important because my needs are all I see. Generosity, please. Hard-hearted people are tight people when it comes to money and time. You want me to give to the church, please. You're just going to waste it on something. You want me to serve in the church, give them my time, please. I've got better things to do than to serve. Other people become objects in this game of life when you have a hard heart. Hard-hearted people will use you, abuse you, and throw you away, and they'll never um, have any guilt or regret about it because they can't feel anymore because their hearts are way too hard. And true love and concern for, for others is impossible from someone who has a hard heart. Not difficult, impossible, because their heart is encased with steel and they can no longer feel. This week I was thinking through this this idea of having a hard heart and when I've demonstrated it. And let me just tell you some of the things that come out of me when I have a hard heart. I thought, I, I remember times that I would make up excuses. I would know someone, someone needed my help, but I would make up an excuse why I didn't have time or energy or money to go and help them because I had a hard heart. I found it very easy to gossip about other people and try to trash their reputation when their names would come up because I had a hard heart and I was bitter about something. I found myself unable to forgive and that bitterness just gets deeper and deeper. And the longer I nursed my grudge, the further I got from God and the further I got from other people and folks started noticing that I had a hard heart. Well, what causes hard-heartedness? This is on your listening guide. It's real simple, sin, S-I-N. That's a word a lot of people don't like to talk about today. What's the middle letter of sin? I. Circle that letter, because that's the real problem. You have eye trouble. It has nothing to do with seeing. <laughs> sin equals saying no to God. Sin equals saying no to God. Now, check this out. Romans 3.23. 
For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. When we sin, we're saying no to God. When we sin, we're saying, my will be done. Most of you have learned the, uh, the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer. And it says, thy will be done. No, not when you're saying no to God. You say, my will be done, not thy will be done. And the big problem with sin is I. I'm in charge. That means God's not in charge. And if sin causes hard hearts, how many of us have hard-hearted disease? How many of us? You go back to that verse and it says, all have sinned, all fall short. Hard-heartedness comes on like this. The first time you say no to God, if this represents your heart, this orange represents your heart, the first time you say no to God, this little layer gets wrapped around your heart. And you become a little less sensitive. And the next time you say no to God, it gets actually easier to say no. And your heart gets a little bit less sensitive. And the next time you say no to God, your heart gets less sensitive. And the next time, and the next time, God says, I want you to go and I want you to do this. Mm, it's not convenient. That, that doesn't work for me, God. Your heart gets harder and harder until there is such a, a layer around your heart that if you didn't know this was an orange, could you tell me what it was? You can't see it anymore. It doesn't resemble what it was created to be because it's encased. And the reason it got encased was because you and I said no to God and it led us further and further away. And if it continues for a, a lifetime, that heart becomes almost impenetrable. And hard hearts usually start with small things, such as someone hurts your feelings. What does the Bible say you're supposed to do? Forgive them, but, but you're even supposed to go to them. I don't want to. No. I'm not telling them. So here, here's how you can know if your heart is getting hard. The, the more times you say no to God when He tells you that you're supposed to go to them, the harder your heart gets. Here's how you know. Have you ever been in a store such as Walmart or Lowe's? I'm there all the time, and you know, I just figured I'd use those. You spy someone down an aisle that hurt you. What's your reaction? If they're close enough to you, you find an item that you're really trying to... You read the back. <laughs> yeah, y'all are laughing because you know it's true. If you're far enough away, though, and you got your cart, and you're hoping it's not one of those long, honking, honking 18-wheeler carts, <laughs> you turn and go down the other... You, actually, you'll go 16 aisles down here just to avoid them. That ought to be the first sign that that relationship is damaged and your heart is hardening. When their name comes up in conversation, do you have good things to say about them or do you start ripping their reputation? If you start ripping them, the, the relationship's damaged. Your heart is hardening every time you say something about them and don't do what God tells you to do. The Bible is clear that we all have this disease and, uh, and, and the bad news is we can't cure it ourselves. But there is a cure, and it's 100% effective. And only God has it. The problem with the cure? It's painful. And it's going to cost you something. And uh, the Bible tells us what it is. 
The cure for a hard heart, you must get a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. God speaking, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here's God's deal. God wants to change you from the inside out. He doesn't care what you look like on the outside. In fact, he made you. He didn't mess up. Um, if you ever are worried about what you look like and, and how you came out, go and read Psalm 139. It's God's love letter to you. He says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. He stitched your frame together. Before your days, before you were born, God numbered your days. God knows all about you. And He loves you just the way you are, but He loves you so much that He doesn't want to leave you the way you are. And the way He starts to change you is from the inside out. And He sends His Holy Spirit to anyone who calls on Him. He sends His Holy Spirit to live in that person's heart and begin penetrating and taking the layers off and begin healing that person. And God says, you know, here's the deal. God says, I'm not just going to do a bypass deal. I'm going to take out the old heart and I'm going to give you a new one. He says, I'll put my spirit in you and I'll put a new heart in you and get rid of that hard heart of stone and then you'll be able to do things like I want you to do. The only way to get this heart is to admit that your heart is diseased beyond repair. <laughs> How do you get on the heart transplant list in the United States? You've got to have a ticker that's about to expire. But even then, even if you get on the list and you say, I ain't going, are you going to get a heart? No. So God says, first of all, you've got to admit, my heart is diseased. I'm messed up. And I need you, God, to do something about it. So you admit that your heart is damaged beyond repair, and you ask God to forgive you and give you a new heart. It'll be painful, but this new heart that you will receive will make all the difference in where you spend eternity. <clears throat> this is way heavy on my mind because one, one of my dearest friends passed away this week, and I'm doing her funeral this afternoon. 84-year-old lady um, who, had, who had a new heart. And one of the coolest things is I get to talk about where she is today because she has a new heart. But this whole thing about dying and leaving a legacy is way heavy on my mind. I've talked to a lot of the family members about it. And, and some of them, if they were to die today, are going to bust hell wide open. And my job is to go in there and tell them how they, how they can have this new heart and tell them about Miss Dolly and what a sweet person she was. And if they ever want to see her again, that they've got to have the new heart as well. So this, this thing is big time on my mind today. And the thing that's really cool is the new heart that God lives you, gives you lives forever and prepares you for that next life. When you get the new heart, you're drawn, close, drawn closer to God. You begin to desire the things that He desires. You will fall in love with the things that Christ loves. You know what He loves? The church. It's called His bride. He loves the church. And you'll fall in love with the church. And He loves people. <laughs> All people. All people matter to God. And when I have a new heart, all people matter to me. If I can see somebody and, and feel contempt for them, then I have a hard heart. And I need to go to God and, and ask for some help with that heart. In 2008, I want you to get a new heart. And as we close this service, I want to give you a couple of assignments. Everybody has a registration card. If you take just a second and fill that out. If you're a first or second time guest, be sure and put address and phone number on there so we can 
contact you. Um, but I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things that may not be easy for you. Turn your registration card over. We want to make this, this deal real. So I want you to think, because some of you thought about this person when I mentioned Lowe's or Walmart and seeing them in the aisle and running the other way. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. I want you to identify a person, and, and you don't have to write their name, but I am going to ask you to put some initials down on the back of that card. A person that you have a hard heart towards. We all have them. God knows it. God knows you're messed up. Let's just get it out in the open and, and deal with it. And nobody's going to read these but me. We have one guy that just goes through and gets them all organized for me, but, but I, I go through these, and I'm going to pray for you and, and the initials. God knows who they are. But somebody that you have a hard heart towards, and we're going to ask God to soften your heart towards them. Um, and then here's, here's, how you, here's how you will know if you are beginning to soften, to have the tender heart towards God. You become a person that says to God, just say the word. Just say the word, God, and I'll do it. Whatever the Bible teaches, I want to follow that. I want to be a just say the word person. We're going to talk more about that next week. Just say the word, God, and I want to follow whatever you want to do, no matter what it costs, and God will begin to remove your heart of stone and give you this hot, a heart of flesh that beats for the things of God. Now, second, I want you to identify someone whose heart is hard towards God and just write their initials down. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. If every one of us here began to pray for the next 30 days for one person whose heart was hard towards God, and we began to pray that God would soften their hearts and that God would send His Holy Spirit to begin doing heart surgery and that God would make them aware of their spiritual condition, that they are lost and they are bound for hell and they are going to bust the gates wide open if they don't make changes and allow God to do heart surgery. If all of us began praying for one person I think that God would begin to change hearts. Now, here's the deal. Here's what we do too often as Christians. We pray, and then we just kind of forget about it. Okay, I prayed about it. God, it's your deal. You've got to start connecting what happens next with your prayers. So if you're willing to take the 30-day challenge, put some initials down there, and, and here's what you've got to do. Do not start praying and, and ignore what happens next. I want you to start watching for opportunities to see this person that you're praying for. I want you to go out of your way to, to come up with reasons to talk to them or text them or send them an email or something and listen for what's going to happen because here's what's going to happen. If God begins to soften their hearts, they will say something like, man, I've really been struggling with this lately. And if you're paying attention spiritually, you'll go, ah, oh, God just gave me a divine appointment. It's where God's Spirit and my willingness, my obedience come together and I get to be there when God changes a human heart. And you watch for those opportunities because they will come. But if you ignore them, when they come, if you say, I ain't going there, I'm not... Because a lot of you are going to get butterflies. You're going to see something happen and you're going to have an opportunity to tell somebody about God and you're going to say, what, what do I say? What do I say? And you're going to say, oh, I'm not... I'll do it next time, God. And God's going to say, I'll find somebody else who will be obedient. But if you're willing, this is that type of adventure, because I'm a thrill seeker, you know, I like going fast, I like skiing fast, used to, before my knee was hurt. Actually, I would still do it, I just couldn't stop. So, um, I like all that stuff, but there is nothing in the world like being there when somebody gets it spiritually, 
And you get to be a part of that. So if you're willing to pray for 30 days, put those initials on the back and then watch for what God's going to do. And actually, I would love for you to share those things with me. Something happens, jot it down, send me an email, call me, whatever you want to do. Let me know what God is doing because it is contagious. When God starts rocking in somebody's world, you start sharing that. We all have an opportunity to get on it. It's, it's some of the most fun stuff in the world. Now, last thing that, that I've got to, to, to say today is some of you have never asked God for a new heart. And so my question to you is, what's stopping you from doing that right now? It's as simple as A, B, C. A, I admit that I need a new heart. B, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead so that I could have a new heart. C, I commit my life to Christ's life. The New Testament says if you're a follower of Christ, your body does not even belong to you. It has been bought with the blood of Jesus. Admit, believe, commit. Would you bow your heads for just a second? If you're one of those who, who today realizes you need a new heart, just silently where you are in your mind say, God, I admit to you that my heart is damaged beyond repair and I need a new one. And you say to him, I believe that you died on a cross to purchase my life. And I commit to you this one and only life you've given to me. And if you've strayed from God and you realize you've gotten a hard heart, ask God to do surgery on you. Father, I pray that you would do radical surgery on me and every person who hears this talk. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer today, I need a new heart, just put that somewhere on the back of your card because I want to talk to you this week. And be sure I have a phone number or some way to, to contact you. Two baskets we have in the back. One is our registration card basket. I'm just, te I'm just testing you. Um, and you'll see that. That's that big basket back there. The other one is our joy basket. And we ask uh, all of our church members and regular attenders to give. We're never going to ask guests to give. Um, we don't want your money till God gives you that new heart, and then it's between you and God, not between you and me. I'm not ever going to pressure people to give. Um, so you put both of those back there, and then if you can help, Wednesday we need uh, at least four or five people. Saturday we need about eight to ten people um, who want to work. Because um, we got about 400 sheets of sheetrock, 10-foot sheetrock coming, and I am not moving it by myself, all right? Right now, we're planning on 10 a.m. If something changes with Lowe's, I'll call you, but that's why I need to know if you're, gonna, if you're one of those 8 to 10 people who, who don't mind messing up your back for all eternity. Um, so let me know so I can call you if that changes. Right now, 10 a.m., Saturday. You're dismissed.